He's already been dead and it's messed with his head. It's John's post-life crisis. Welcome to John's post-life crisis. I am your host, John Johnston, guy who founded cornnation.com, your Nebraska Cornhuskers site of hoping like hell we have a college football season in some form. I am joined today by Anthony Broom, producer and the head dude at Mason Brew, SB Nation's Michigan Wolverine site of much knowledge about all things blue in the state of Michigan. How you doing today, Anthony? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me here. We're going to talk about 2020 Michigan Wolverine football. Uh, there are several guys at my site who refer to you guys as the weasels, so uh, <laughs> we might as well start out a little bit, you know, with a little bit of animosity, but uh, my, my first question was, have, we have to talk about Jim Harbaugh, and we have to talk about Jim Har- Harbaugh because he's an interesting guy. Uh, he has not had the success, maybe, that Michigan fans, I mean, really what it comes down to for you guys is beating Ohio State, right? Yeah. And he hasn't done that. And he's not done that well against Michigan State. So let's start there. Yeah. um, When you look at what Michigan has done under Jim Harbaugh, now five years are in the books. And I think when you go back to when he was hired, what were some of the expectations after those first five years? You're hoping that, okay, those first couple of years, you're looking to rebuild, you're looking to just be competitive uh, because. For as much crap as the staff is getting now, what preceded Jim Harbaugh was probably the worst 10-year stretch, um, you know, obviously at least of my lifetime of Michigan football. There, were, there was a 3-9 and nine season in there. I believe there were a couple 5-7s, and sevens, a couple 6-6s. Six and sixes. You know, it just, just not, not where you want to be as a program. And, you know, you thought maybe after a couple of years of Jim Harbaugh, you're competing for Big Ten titles. You're competing for the college football playoff, which if you – you can move the goalposts here and there and say that they've done that. They have competed for big 10 titles, but again, really when you look at the record against top 10 teams is not great. The road record against ranked teams is not great. They're still over against Ohio state, Ohio state after five years. And that's a gap where, you know, of all the expectations that, that Michigan had under Jim Harbaugh was you're going to narrow that gap with Ohio state. Here comes another 10 year war with Jim Harbaugh, urban Meyer, these guys are going to go at it. And the first year, listen, they got blown out at home. That second year came down to that spot in overtime in Columbus. And since then, that gap has just gotten a little bit wider. Well, not a little bit. It's Ohio State's kicked the door wide open. Um, you know, when you look at them as a program, they're recruiting every bit as good as an Alabama does, as a Georgia does. And that gap just seems to get be getting bigger with them and the rest of the Big Ten. So that doesn't let Michigan off the hook. Um you know, what's hurt them in some of these bigger games is seems a lack of preparation, lack of focus, lack of poise. And, you know, like I said, you're going to get a nine and three season or a 10 and two season, but are you going to get more than that? We haven't seen that so far. And uh, I think the difference between being good, which they've been good, they've objectively been good, but they haven't been great. And I think that it's that extra push for maybe a preparedness and, you know, a Monday through Friday, practice and game planning standpoint that I think has kind of held them back a little bit. So good, but not great. I mean, we had Bo Pelini for a number of years, you know, he did wear out his welcome in terms of the fan base, I think got tired of him. 
And I think he got, we exhausted him also. We kind of ate him up. And, but it was constant nine and three, nine and four. I mean, when, with Harbaugh, I mean, at what point do you say good isn't good enough? It's not enough for us. We need to get to great. And, you know, where's that leash at? Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you, let's just say, let's, let's do some wishful thinking and say we even play a college football season this year, which again, for everyone, I don't think you're going to see if there's a season this year, you're not going to see a ton of coach firings because with those come buyouts. And when these right. athletic departments are already cash strapped, um, I don't see, think you're going to see them, you know, paying these million dollars and buyouts and things like that. Now with Jim Harbaugh in Michigan, it's just kind of like, you know, if you're just sitting, if you're sitting there at nine and three and, and eight and four, just year in and year out. Um, and again, listen, a lot of people use the argument when you look at what came before, it's not that bad, but when you look at the resources that Michigan has, I mean, um, the facilities are top notch across the board. Um, they have a national recruiting footprint. There really, there really isn't much of an excuse for them not to be, you know, at least get one against Ohio State every now and now and then. I think they're, the Buckeyes are seventeen and three against them since the year two thousand. So, um, you know, that's we're going on twenty years of you get to a point where you're recruiting guys that have never seen you. They haven't won the Big Ten since two thousand four. Um, you're starting to recruit guys who are you know, 15, 16, 17 years old who they don't remember the Lloyd Carr teams. They don't remember uh, Braylon Edwards, Chad Henney, Mike Hart. They remember Rich Rod and they remember Brady Hoke and they remember, um, you know, some of these, some of these failures in big games of, of recent years. So I, it's hard to say. It's kind of complicated. I'm on the record of saying Jim Harbaugh is, is in Ann Arbor as long as he wants to be. Um, whether that be through he takes a job in the NFL, whether it be, you know, he just decides to retire. But I do think when you look at him personally, again, it's his alma mater, which you guys are familiar with, you know, having your head coach. There's a, there's a strong pull there. There's a pull for him to continue to raise his kids in the town that he was raised in. So like I said, as long as the ball is in his court, I really don't see him going anywhere. And I haven't seen a lot from, you know, administrative from an administrative standpoint that, there's a lot of pressure on him to, to, you know, there's not a lot of heat, you know, people talk about hot seats. Any, the, the only time there's ever been Jim Harbaugh hot seat talk is when it comes from, you know, the national media. I've never got a sense of that locally here. It's a, it's a good article. You know, I mean, we get Scott Frost is on the hot seat from people and you're kind of like, it's been two years. What the hell? Yeah. You know, I get it. We can talk about that toward the end of the show, the comparisons to Scott Frost. Don't let me forget that. Cause I have a terrible memory. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Jim Harbaugh, Bo Pelini, I mentioned Bo Pelini. Bo Pelini had his, let's just call him quirks. You know, I mean, saying F you to the fans, things like that. Volatile personality. Like I said, he kind of wore himself out with Nebraska fans after a while. Jim Harbaugh has this chicken thing going on. And then recently we had this incident where a top recruit said that he wouldn't take his cleats off when he came into his house. Now, I, we're, we're in a bizarre time in human history anyway. I hate wearing pants all of a sudden. <laughs> I'm not going to get on Jim Harbaugh about wearing cleats and how weird that is because I think it's a little bit of hip, – it's hypocritical. But 
go into the cleats thing. I mean, you've certainly gotten some flack for it from people, haven't you? Yeah, there have always there have been a few weird instances like that on the recruiting trail. There was another, I believe it was, I forget they were in on another five star guy who I he actually may have actually wound up on the team. I can't remember. I won't recite from memory because it's it's slipping me right now. But there was a there was one kid who was out on Michigan, decided he didn't want to be at Michigan because he claimed that they spelled his name wrong in a letter or something like that. So there have been some quirky things like that. As far as the cleats go, like as a homeowner myself, like you don't wear shoes in the house. You're, you're definitely not wearing cleats in the house. So that, that is a little odd, especially if you're, you know, cleating around on hardwood floors. Um, I don't know. It seems like a fun little story. When you look at this was Isaiah Wilson, who ultimately wound up going to Georgia. I, I think there were some other factors there. Um, <clears throat> Bagman that may have, uh, that may have factored into why he ultimately ended up in the South. But uh, hey, it's the weird recruitments always produce weird results. And that was kind of a weird one to start with. And I'm not, I don't want to use this as an open forum to bash the kid, but this was the same guy who um, Isaiah Wilson, that is who what he committed on, I believe it was December 16th in 2016. And his commitment announcement was tied to like a school Christmas pageant at the school he was at. And so people were tuned into this stream and like, you, you know how recruiting fans are like they'll, they'll, there were tens of thousands, tens of thousands of people on this stream of, it was a Christmas concert at this school. And, you know, at the, so people were already kind of irked by that. Obviously Georgia fans uh, wound up being happy about that, but um, yeah, it's Jim Harbaugh is yeah. Uh, quirky and weird dude uh for sure um he's never had any incidents where he's told fans to f off or anything like that but uh you know it's more of uh i guess somewhat endearing uh locally uh, or at least some people in the fan base but nationally i i trust i understand the, the rep that he gets because it's not entirely unfounded okay well he apparently recently had some run in with Ryan day about during a coach's online meeting or something. Anything on that? Yeah. See, I don't know if this is true or not. It came from the Ohio state boards, I think on, on 24 seven, but uh, basically on some kind of big tense coaches call, it sounded like Ryan day was talking and Jim Harbaugh interrupted him because there was allegedly video out there of, of Al Washington, who's their uh, Ohio State's linebackers coach, who Ohio State hired away from Michigan two off seasons ago. So there's already kind of some bad blood there. Um, apparently, according to this, this board post, Harbaugh said that he saw video online of Al Washington working with that position group when nobody's supposed to be working with position groups right now. And Ryan Day said something along the lines of, why don't you worry about your own team? And then – Allegedly, after this call, when Ryan Day met with his team, he said, I hope that there's – or the Big Ten better put a mercy rule in place because we're going to hang 100 on them this year, which whatever. It's, it's, it's rivalry talk. It's football guy talk. Um, you know, it's – Ohio State has hung 63 and 56 on Michigan in the last two years. So what's a couple more touchdowns here and there? It, it wouldn't make it any more painful than it has been, honestly. Well, you know, going back to uh, the 10-year war, Shem Beckler and uh, Hayes, I mean, those guys, they have their fireworks. So, yeah. you just you guys need to win a game to up the, you know, up the bar for the rivalry. Yeah. I mean, it is. Find a way to get one. That's kind it, of where it is right now. 
I mean, it is one of the best rivalries in uh, college football. And, you know, I, being a Nebraska guy, maybe I'll get in trouble for that. But, you know, when we moved to the Big Ten, we kind of dismissed all of our rivalries were gone. We got to build new ones. That's just how it goes. Yeah. Uh, let's get in. You, you guys have a new offensive coordinator, Josh Gaddis. Yes, this is his second year with the program, actually. But everything, there's a lot of new on this offense in general. Um, you know, you're going to be breaking in a new starting quarterback. You're going to be breaking in four new starters on the offensive line. You, they lost two starting wide receivers, a starting tight end. So it's not, there's, it feels more new this year than it did last year because they were just kind of updating to last year's personnel. Uh, and it took some time. I mean, it was, you know, Michigan. I know you, you think of what they've been traditionally as a program. It's a three yards and a cloud of dust type right. of offense, a ground and pound type deal. And what we saw them do, you know, they hired Josh Gaddis away from Alabama last off season, who he was coaching. Uh, he'd coached the wide receivers at Penn state, coached the wide receivers and was like the co-offensive coordinator at Alabama. And then he uh, got the full, the full OC job here at Michigan. And it was a work in progress uh, because you had, I mean, you had a quarterback in Shea Patterson who had the ability to play in the spread, but there was adjustments there with turnovers and, and reads and things like that. Um, but they are, there's still, there's still very much that power pro style approach in terms of the running game, in terms of some of the blocking schemes. Uh, but this is a, they're going to a, I mean, they've been a spread offense there. This will be the second year of them kind of doing that. And You've seen them adjust to that in terms of kind of the personnel they've recruited. You're seeing a lot of fast wide receivers, guys that you just kind of get the ball out too quickly and let them make plays. Um, so it's a little more spready and West Coasty than it's been. And last year, it's weird because you have all this new offensive personnel. And again, if they play games, we'll see what happens. But um, it feels like they'll be further along just because even these guys are stepping into bigger roles. Um, they're going to be playing in an offense that they've been repping. Well, they, there wasn't spring football, but the, the terminology and the schemes that they've been familiar with for, for two off seasons now. So we'll see what happens there. Again, uh, when we talk about what kind of, what's the difference for Michigan in going from good to great uh, from being a nine or 10 win team a year to being that, you know, 11, 12, let's go to Indy. Let's get into the playoff type deal. It is the quarterback position. Um, yeah. The quarterback play has been, I'll say it's been solid to good. Uh, they had the one year in 2017 that was kind of a disaster. I think they played three or four guys that year. Um, you know, Jim Harbaugh's got the the reputation of being a quarterback guy, and I, I still do think he he does a good job of reining guys in and squeezing the best football he can out of them. But I think something that's kind of distorted what his what the expectations around him as a quarterback developer are is was Andrew Luck. I mean, Andrew Luck was a, a once in a generation prospect. He hasn't recruited his quote unquote, Andrew Luck to Michigan yet. Now they have a guy coming in next year, a five-star guy, JJ McCarthy, who people are very high on, but you know, this year you've got Dylan McCaffrey, who was a former kind of four-star fringe. Some people had him as a fringe five-star uh, son of Ed McCaffrey brother of, I mean, Luke is at Nebraska. You guys right. know him. Um, so Got the bloodlines there, and then guy uh, Joe Milton, who is a four-star guy who has a cannon for an arm, but you know you have to be able to throw curveballs and, and changeups and things like that. You can't always be firing the fastball in there. So um, 
that's kind of what the bummer of this whole, I mean, everything's been a bummer this year because of the pandemic, but more so with spring football. Um, it's really the first time since Jim Harbaugh has been at Michigan that they've had truly and completely a, a quarterback battle in earnest. And now, like I said, they're going to be starting camp on, I, I believe Friday, everyone is getting the okay to do that. Um, I just don't know if there's a ton of time to, you know, if you have that guy pick, you know, to pick that guy out or to really give it the due diligence that you've had. So, um, but the good news is uh, whoever wins that job has two year, at least two years of eligibility remaining in McCaffrey's case. If Milton wins the job, three years of eligibility remaining, I wouldn't be surprised to see the guy that lose it wind up transferring because uh, that quarterback room is, is fairly deep moving forward. Um, but whoever wins this job, this is, this is setting up for the next two years, which is, you know, Michigan fans are kind of tired of the wait till next year thing, but I talked about all the newness on offense and, and there's a fair amount of that on the defensive side of the ball too. Uh, but this year being a weird year where anything, you, any football you get this year is kind of gravy. So um, whoever wins that job, like if they can get as, you know, if there are game reps to be had, um, I think that's, that is somewhat exciting to build equity into when things will be normal for everyone else next year. So, okay, the quarterbacks you covered, McCaffrey and Milton, you, you mentioned four or five starters gone on the offensive line. Uh, running backs, Hassan Haskins and Zach Charbonnet. Mm-hmm. Yep, those are, those are two really good players. Uh, Charbonnet was a true freshman last year, and um, he looked the part. There were some load management concerns with him. Um, you know, because he did, you know, he does have, I think some sort of chronic, not a chronic knee problem, but um, you know, there was some concerns there. So uh, Haskins came on about halfway through the year as a red shirt freshman. And, and those guys both played pretty well. I mean, you go look at the rushing numbers. They weren't, you know, the numbers weren't high. It's not a Michigan rushing offense that people, you know, the tr- college football purists, traditionalists are used to seeing. But when people asked him about the run game last year, I think it was fairly efficient um, when it was used. And I think that's kind of what they're looking for in this offense too. It's not necessarily a pass happy offense. There are some, you know, there's a lot of, there's some QB option runs and things like that. RPOs. Um, but yeah, when you look at those two guys, I think those two guys alone, I think are, you could make the argument. They're one of the top duos in the conference already. Um, and there's more guys coming back. Like you have Chris Evans, who was out, he was off the team last year due to, due to an academic issue. He's back on the team this year. He's a guy who's, you know, he's been, you know, a big time weapon in both the running and passing games. So I think they're excited to have him back. They have a true freshman in Blake Corum, who a lot of people are excited about. They think that he could be, you know, in the mix for some carries this year. So they have those two guys, but really they could go as, as many as four deep there, which, you know, they haven't, Michigan really hasn't had a lead back, per se under Jim Harbaugh. Devian Smith was at times. Kron Higdon was the closest thing to that and probably the best running back they've had so far. But to me, I mean, this is, this is as deep a, a running back room they've had as well. So, you know, when you talk about we're through five years of Jim Harbaugh, we're into year six. I think the biggest change is really, you know, how deep they are at just about every position because that wasn't the case when they got there, you know, six years ago. So receivers, who's the – Who's the explosive dude that's going to score points? Well, the big guy that's left is 
Yeah. And then go into where are the points going to come from on this offense? And, you know, is it going to be in the passing game or the running game? Cover both those. Yeah. Uh, the big guy at wide receiver is Nico Collins. He could have entered the draft uh, this year, probably would have been a mid round pick. Uh, but he comes back after, you know, Donovan Peoples Jones goes to the draft. Tariq Black transfers to Texas. That was kind of the big three that never really wound up being the big three. And like I said, due to some inconsistencies at quarterback, some growing pains in the offense, and quite frankly, um, some whack, some kind of wonky play calling early on in the year. Uh, but Nico Collins, is, he's a jump ball receiver. He's a guy to where Michigan hasn't gotten him the ball enough. I mean, every they chuck him the ball down the field. And it's either it seems like every time they do that, it's either defensive pass interference or he, you know, he mosses a guy. He he snatches the ball out of the air and, and makes a play. Um, he is their undisputed number one guy. Now their top receiver um, in terms of production from last year is Ronnie Bell, who, you know, Nico Collins was a former four star recruit. Tariq Black was a four star recruit. Donovan Peoples Jones was a five star recruit. Everyone thought that was going to be a big three that you know kind of. I think a lot of people were hoping they would be what the receivers at LSU were last year. It obviously didn't play out that way, but the guy that kind of outshined all of them in terms of from a catch standpoint, from a production standpoint was Ronnie Bell, who is a former two-star recruit out of Kansas who originally was going to play basketball somewhere else. So um, he had a good rapport with Shea Patterson. I, I'm not sure what his rapport is like with either the, the guys that are vying for the job now, uh, but he's that possession receiver, that guy that can do, damage over, you know, over the middle of the field. And then you've got a bunch of, of sophomore and redshirt freshmen. Giles Jackson is someone that they're excited about. It's kind of a smaller guy, like a gadget player that they might be able to do some things with. You've got Cornelius Johnson. You've got AJ Henning and Roman Wilson. Um, Mike Sainer still, who had a good spring last year, didn't do as much uh, in the regular season, but was still productive in, in some moments. So they've got, They've got five or six guys at wide receiver too. And when you ask, you know, where are the points going to come from on this offense? Um, I guess it, it really kind of depends on who the quarterback winds up being. If it's, if it's Dylan McCaffrey, um, and like I said, Michigan compares itself to Ohio State. Ed Warner, their offensive line coach, was the former offensive coordinator at Ohio State. So there is kind of an Urban Meyer type of influence on this offense mixed with what Josh Gaddis brings um, you know, from, from his experience at Penn State and Alabama. Uh, if McCaffrey wins the job, I can see him being more of the, like the JT Barrett type of quarterback where, um, you know, it's kind of the, the design QB runs um, is kind of more what the offense is built around and then you throw when you can. And if it's Milton, Milton can still run the football, but he would be more of like that, that Cardale Jones type of guy. Um, if, you're, if you're using that or, you know, maybe – Hoping, hope, you know, Michigan fans hope he would be like a Dwayne Haskins. But um, so McCaffrey's more of the the run first dual threat guy, and Milton is more of the, to me is more of the you know we're we're just going to throw the football over the all over the yard. So it depends. I mean, when you look at which you know when Michigan gets inside the five yard line, they want to run the football. So if you're at from a touchdown standpoint, I could see Charbonnet and Haskins leading the way there because that's kind of what they did last year. Okay, Nebraska, we have a run, run the ball guy yeah. who, by God, we better run the ball all the time. And on third and one, it always has to be a run or they're going ballistic. They're having brain aneurysms, heart attacks, everything like that. <laughs> I assume that given Michigan's history, you have something similar. 
Oh yeah. Um, there are some people who believe that no matter what happens, you know, first, you know, you run on first or you pass on first down to set up the run for the later or whatever. We, there are offensive coordinators. There are so many offensive coordinators on Twitter in this fan base. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, everyone, every football fan is like that to a certain extent. But uh, the fact of the matter is, is when a play call works, people, people will praise it when it doesn't, people will say this guy needs to be fired. He's the worst, you know, the worst uh, offensive coordinator we've ever had. An example I like to use of this is in the, in the Ohio state game last year, again, it was Michigan was kind of toe and toe, toe to toe with them for a while. And then Ohio state started to pull away, but in the fourth quarter, Michigan on four, I think it was fourth and two. um, They dialed up a run play on their own side of the field to just, you know, try and try and pick things up there. And the difference between what is a good play call and what's a bad play call is as simple as, it was actually Hassan Haskins. Instead of following his offensive lineman, which follows if he follows him, he's got nothing but green grass in front of him. You're looking at an eight-point game with like 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. He bounces it to the outside, gets stuffed, and then, you know, turnover on downs, Ohio State scores, and it's a totally different game. So that's just how that's just how finite a difference between you know, how people perceive what is a good play call, what is a bad play call. I mean, if they pick that thing up, people say, oh, that was, you know, that's the call of the season. That's the ballsiest call we've ever seen him make. And, you know, but it didn't work out that way. And, and people were pretty upset about what wound up happening there. It's it's just a matter of, you know, trusting your guy, trusting the body of work. I thought from a play calling standpoint, from week one to week, even until, you know, Michigan played Alabama in the Citrus Bowl, I thought, I mean, there was, you could, you could look and there was tangible progress throughout the year and the offense, you know, they kept saying, you know, when the offense isn't working and you hear them say during the week in press conferences, we're confident this is working. It's working in practice, practice. It's working in practice. You kind of question their sanity and what they're seeing, but as the year went on, you started to see the fruits of that labor kind of open things up on the field and, um, now, then it just became a matter of the defense not being able to get some of those stops in the bigger games. So, um, you know, that's, that's how college football is now. You got to be able to score. And, you know, if you're not, if you're not throwing the football and you're not scoring points, you're, you might just be a team that only wins nine games a year. So uh, at best, so that's you kind might, of might, how I see that. Michigan state. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Under, under, under D'Antonio. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I'll be honest with you, life issues got in the way, and I didn't do a lot of research on your defense. So go over the defense, and I know – I mean, every year you guys are going to lose good players and they're going to have to be replaced by somebody. But how well do you see the defense stacking up in the Big Ten? And, I mean, keeping you've – got, you've got the threat now from Ohio State, the 100 points on the board thing. Yeah. <laughs> how are you going to stop that from happening? Well, I guess anything less than 100 is is – them doing the job, but you know, they've given up 63 and 56 in those last couple of years. So it's been rough. Um, and it's, it hasn't been because they haven't had good players. I mean, um, you just look at some of the names from the last few years that have been drafted. You've got Devin Bush, Rashawn Gary, Chase Winovich. These are all guys that were, you know, first, second, third round picks in the draft. Um, Josh Uche this past year, uh, David Long was a third round pick last year. So, to me, talent's not the problem there. Um, 
I think there might be some schematic things really to me. And I kind of touched on this earlier. Um, their biggest issue has been, I think they're over aggressive at times. And that's, that's what that's Don Brown. That's their defensive coordinator. He says, the day I stop being aggressive is the day I stop coaching football and I'm sipping a, you know, a Mai Tai in Cape Cod or something like that. So that's going to be what they are. That's what their brand is. Uh, I think the biggest issue with the defense and we'll get into this year's defense in just a second is, you know, for example, so I keep going back to the Ohio state game from last year. Um, there were points in that game where it's just, you have to be able to get off, you know, getting off the field. If you can just get off the field a few times in a game like that, you're going to, you're going to be all that much better off for it. Um, and there are times where, you know, getting stops against Ohio state is as difficult as it is already. And then you jump off sides on a punt and the downs reset. It's just those little focus things. Um, you know, Wisconsin, um, that Wisconsin game last year, the run fits were terrible. They, they looked totally confused out there. And to me, that's, that's preparedness. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know who else to put that on other than coaching. They keep wearing, I mean, Don Brown, to he's does the press conference every year where, Oh, I've, I watched the Ohio State film. I promise it won't happen again. Um, but what we look at, so that's kind of the state of where their defense is. Uh, I won't believe in big games that they can get it done until they do. That's kind of the benefit. You know, they've, they've lost, to me, the benefit of the doubt there. Now, at home, that's, that's the thing. At home, a lot of times, like when they play, it seems like whenever they play Penn State at home, they mollywop them. They play Wisconsin at home. Um, you know, getting stops hasn't been a problem. It's those that focus stuff on the road that's kind of killed them there. Uh, this year's defense, you lose, um, you know, they lost quite a not quite a bit. Their stars, I think, for the most part are still there. Um, Cam McGrone at linebacker is someone who I think has a chance to be maybe not quite as good as Devin Bush, but someone who, you know, he fits that mold there. Um, I think Aiden Hutchinson could be potentially a first round pick at defensive end, a guy who, you know, he's got a mo you know, he's got a motor. The, the motor's always running there. Um, the production could have maybe been higher last year, but when you watch the film, I mean, this is a guy who gives 150% on every play. Uh, I think they're going to be bigger in the middle on defense this year. It sounds like they have a couple of freshmen that, you know, they were real small up front last year. So you saw a lot of those three man fronts uh, with an extra linebacker, an extra defensive back on the field. Um, I still think you'll see that to a certain extent, but they have a couple guys, you know, Chris Hint was a former five-star prospect who um, sounds like he's bulked up and is ready for, you know, a bigger role this season. You've got Mozzie Smith, who is kind of in that same, um, that same spot as well. Quiddy pay guy who can move inside and out versatile. Again, I don't, the defensive line is, is always typically pretty deep and um, I don't worry as much about depth there. Uh, the back end is probably where I have the most questions this year. You lost Lavert Hill. Uh, Ambry Thomas is the number one corner who, again, I think he's a guy who I think his football, his best football could still be ahead of him there. Um, but there's not a lot of proven. I mean, Vincent Gray played inside last year. He'll be playing on the outside. Um, there's just not a lot of depth there outside of that. You've got another five-star guy at safety in Daxton Hill, who I think is going to be a star. Brad Hawkins playing next to him, I think is going to be very good this year if they play. Um, so the, the pieces are there. Uh, I really do think there are pieces there on both sides of the ball where this could be a fun team. I just don't, I, I just think in a couple of key areas, um, they're still a little green and it's just going to be a matter of 
how green is everyone else when you play them and how much progress do you make in this, you know, God, it's, it's 30 days to kickoff. They announced the schedule on Wednesday and it just seems like whether they start the season on time or not, I don't know, but um, it's going to be a quick turnaround and it's going to be baptism by fire for a lot of young guys too. Right. Okay. Switch to us. Scott Frost I mean, there's a lot of similarities between Harbaugh and Scott Frost. They're both returning home. They're both back to their alma maters. Obviously, Scott Frost hasn't been around as long as Jim Harbaugh, but uh, I mean, his two first years, Frost has been a, well, disappointment. I mean, you know, 0-6 to start his first year, and that has never happened in the history of Nebraska football, even during the World War II years when we were terrible. And there was a 20-year stretch in there where we were terrible. Uh, what do you think as a guy from the outside looking in, what do you think of Scott Frost? I mean, I think when you just look at, I, I, I think he came, so he was coaching at UCF. He came to Ann Arbor. I think it was his first year coaching there. Um, the year that they were terrible. And then in the span of the year, you snap your fingers and, you know, they're, they claim that they, you know, won the national title or whatever. Uh, this is a real good football team, but um, I think it's a lot easier to do that at a group of five school where you just get a couple of things that click and you can run through your schedule. I think it's harder to do that in the big 10. And, and I think that, like I said, it's going to, how many years was Mike Riley there? I don't know. Four. I don't, when you mentioned the name, my brain explodes. <laughs> I think three, he was there three. three. He was like so, a placeholder. Yeah. Um, I think when you look at, it just it takes time and that's kind of where it it, it seems like the, you know the pj flex of the world the scott frost of the world they have this they have this abrupt kind of rise to power um you know it seems like within the span of a few years they're a hot coaching commodity and, and everybody in the country wants them you look at what you know it took three years at minnesota for fleck to do what he did last year it, right. it takes time um and even that's kind of where I think the going back to the Jim Harbaugh comparison, I think that expectations for him were kind of ratcheted up early because they won 10 games in that first year. And they were, you know, they had a chance to, to win the big 10 and go to Indy in year two. Um, now they had re- made Brady Hoke and his staff to their credit. They had recruited well, they just needed to be coached up and they were, but even then you see, it takes time to build a program. And that's where, you know, some guys come in and they flip the switch right away and they're good to go. But um, sometimes it just takes a little longer. And, you know, you look at Nebraska, I, I think, uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm always the optimist. I'm always looking ahead to what's next. Uh, when I look at what, what I, I think that Scott Frost is a good coach. I think that people need to be patient. Um, you know, year three is, is probably a pretty important year. Uh, you're going to know you're going to pretty much know a lot about your coach by the time year three is over with. Um, assuming like said, you know, it's somewhat normal. <laughs> we're assuming we're kind of trying to assume everything might be normal. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is like maybe I've, I said this in a radio hit I did earlier this week. It, it's almost like, because there is, I mean, there's obviously heat on Scott Frost. There's heat on Jim Harbaugh, but it's almost like the fact that this year is going to be so weird it almost feels like it takes pressure off of both of their teams because nothing's normal for anyone. 
it hasn't been a normal lead up to the season. The world's not in a, a very a, a great place right now. So I feel like for it's a lot harder for people to manufacture rage um, up over their football teams right now. And I think that's that. I mean, these players are on social media, and these coaches are on social media because they're recruiting kids that use social media. I think that 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 air of you know, the deep breath of if we even get football, people are going to be grateful. I, I do think that players pick up on the vibe of the socials and, and for people, for anyone to say it doesn't affect them. Um, I just don't know how logical that is. So like I said, um, I wouldn't be pulling the plug on Scott Frost. Like I said, it takes time to, to build a program. And, you know, I also feel like your, your native son you know, deserves time to kind of build things in his image. Like it's so, it's so much easier to, you know, cause you can recruit those Florida kids in Florida and they might be the three-star guys, but it's so easy to go from, it's not easy, but it's, it's a lot easier to go from good to great at a group of five school than it is in the big 10, especially, you know, you've got Wisconsin in that division. It's not the big 10 East. You don't have Ohio state, Penn state, Michigan at the top there, but Minnesota's on the rise and Purdue is, has kind of been on the verge of busting out. Um, Illinois has, has been improved. Minnesota and Wisconsin obviously have been very good. Iowa is always very good. So, you know, it just, you just kind of have to chip away with it. And that's kind of, I just wish, I think a lot of programs, I think wish they would be a little more patient uh, because it does. I think it really does take five, you know, four or five years to, to really set a foundation and build a program. So we'll see what happens, but, uh, I don't know. We'll, uh, I know a, a bad, a down season this year probably wouldn't do a whole lot to inspire confidence. So no, and it'd be, you know, we'd have to live with it for another bloody year. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing for Nebraska fans is this, you know, you, you, you lose to Iowa at the end of the season, you don't go to a bowl game again, and then you have to live with that for months and months and months. And people are tired of the hype. You know, last year we came in, we were, somebody ranked us, and Adrian Martinez, our starting quarterback, was a Heisman Trophy candidate. And you kind of looked at that and went, that's a little overblown, but, you know. And then people now are, they're angry and they're gun shy. And I, we really need a, it'd be nice to have as normal a college football season as possible. I don't know if that can happen, but. Yeah. Or, you know, you know or just people relax and say, I'm really just thankful to be here. Yeah. But, Okay, we got schedules. I'll, one more question. Uh, I'll ask you for predictions because you have to have thought about it since you're the guy in charge. You know, what, what do you see happening with Michigan football this season? Uh, I have them at 8-2 and two, uh, with losses at Minnesota and uh, obviously against Ohio State. I'm not going to believe it till I see it there. Um, the Minnesota one is maybe a little flaky because Rashad Bateman's not going to play this year. I think that's a huge piece, obviously a huge piece gone might be depending on who you talk to might be the the best wide receiver in next year's draft. So that's a big deal for them. Um, At the same time, it's a road trip early on in the year. Uh, Michigan hasn't played well on the road and they are still working in all those new pieces. So um, they open with Purdue. I think that that's at home. I think they should be able to get by that. Um, it's down for Michigan state. They, they beat Penn state and Wisconsin at home. Usually, um, you know, I, I think I'm seeing people say, Oh, five and five or six and four. 
that's like a doomsday scenario. I mean, the doomsday scenario is no football at all, but like, that's probably, I'd be pretty surprised, uh, you know, seven or seven and three, eight and two feels about right. Um, so that's kind of where I have them. It's, it's a bummer, you know, actually all things, I mean, you want to see them play as many good teams as possible. They were originally going to go out to Washington to open the year, which Washington's a little down right now, but you know, to, to go out there, to have those questions be looming, it's kind of maybe, I don't want to call it a trap game because we don't know a ton about, we wouldn't have known a ton about either of the teams. Uh, but to go from that to now opening the season against Purdue at home, I, I think that's a pretty, that's a pretty solid draw to open the year. So that's where I see things with them. Um, like I said, uh, there was talk that their that final crossover game they had to be was going to be at Iowa, which was Michigan never plays well there. And typically when Michigan plays there, it seems like it's always a night game, which is always a nightmare scenario. So, um, but instead they're going to Northwestern. It's not, I mean, there's not going to be fans in the stands anyways, if they do play, but that's typically been a venue that's been pretty kind to them as well. So um, it's, it's always going to be kind of a tough schedule because they're in the big 10 East. It's one of the toughest divisions in college football. Their crossover games this year are with um, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Purdue, and like I said, Northwestern. So it's Ohio State's not, I don't think Ohio State plays Wisconsin or Minnesota. So some years it just gets thrown off like that. But yeah, I think overall, I think it's not a terrible, not a terrible schedule for them at all. I think, uh, is there anything else that I haven't asked you you want to say about Michigan football this year? Oh, I think we've covered pretty much. <laughs> I think we pretty much, I've, th- I've probably rambled and covered more than we were planning to, to be honest with you. So this I guess true. any other thoughts or questions you might have for me? Mm, what is it? What's going to stop Ohio state for God's sakes. I mean, it's just, you know, Urban Meyer to Ryan Day, and they still keep recruiting these guys. Are they the only school that's using bag men? Are they, you know what I mean? <laughs> what the hell is going on with this? Yeah, it- I really, I think it's from at least like a Michigan perspective, like, yeah, they're, they're not, Michigan's still recruiting like top five, top five, top seven, top 10 nationally, pretty much year in and year out. So talent wise, I mean, it's not as much as the top end, you know, high end four star, five star guys, but Typically speaking, and there are people inside the building that feel this way, despite the scores of the last few years of these games, that they're only that there are like five or six plays here and there that led to the, the bottom falling out. And I think when when it just comes down to this, I think really for any team, um, you saw it with LSU last year. If you get a quarterback that just busts out and plays out of his mind, that can carry you to big wins. I mean, just look on. I mean the the tornado of destruction that was Joe Burrow last year was right. probably the best college quarterback season I've ever seen. Um, again, like I said, if you're, I, I think whether it's Adrian Martinez or Luke McCaffrey, whenever we play football again, I think that it, it seems like all everyone's quarterback situation is everyone's for the most part is in okay hands other, unless you're Michigan state or Rutgers or, what have you, but um, it's good to, to beat a team like Ohio state. It's going to take a big time performance at the quarterback position. Cause that's how college football is now. And um, none of our schools in this conference have really been able to do that. So 
unless it's a random night game at Purdue once every five years or something like that. <laughs> uh, okay. I think uh, we'll call it a wrap. Thank you, Anthony, for joining me to talk about Michigan football. Uh, that is John's post-life crisis podcast. Uh, thanks for listening and go big red. <laughs>